Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight. For thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. A philosopher from the modern era, John Locke, who you may have heard of, um, from political theory, it was his theories that actually are the basis of the Declaration of Independence, famously once said that man is born tabula rasa. Tabula rasa, which is Latin for blank slate. Scholars debate what John Locke meant about that, but in this case, I think he was wrong. You see, we are not born as blank slates. No matter what, we're affected by our parents, our grandparents, our lineage, our ethnicity, our nationality. Um, you might have seen the uh, commercial on TV. It's for, uh, I think, it, it, what's the, uh, the genealogy one? 21, is that it? Something 21? What is it? 21 and me? 23 and me. Okay, 23 and me. <laughs> I'm not a scientist. 23 and me. You might have seen it, and it's, it's like this guy that's dancing around in lederhosen, right? And, and he thinks that his, he's, he's German, right? And all of a sudden, he gets the results back from his DNA test, and it shows that he's not German at all. And at the end of the commercial, uh, I can't remember what he's in. I, I, think it's, uh, I think he's like part American Indian or something. Uh, but it's completely opposite of, of, of what he thought, it's completely opposite of what he thought. So we're affected by those that have gone before us. We're also affected by what we perceive ourselves to be. And finally, we're affected by the community that we're in. Right? And that's what St. Paul's talking about here. He's, he's talking about what it means to be one body in Christ. He's talking about what it means to have ancestors, spiritually speaking, and particularly speaking here, he tells the church in Corinth that their ancestors are the Hebrews. There's also, however, a warning that St. Paul gives. He says, all of these things that affect you have great Affect on you and can affect you for the positive, but don't be like the Hebrews in their idolatry. Don't be like your ancestors in their sexual impurity. Don't be like those around you in your testing and grumbling against God. In today's text, St. Paul shifts from speaking about discipleship and his position as an apostle to speaking about the people of God. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, there might be one in the pew. I think there are. But join me in looking. How does St. Paul start this chapter? Verse 1. 
For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. Let's stop right there. One of the things that you should know in scripture is when St. Paul does something like say, I want you to know, he's saying, we're moving on to another subject. Okay, so that's a flag, should be a flag as you read Holy Scripture, that St. Paul is changing subjects. I want you to know is actually a very weak translation of this. In my studies this week, I looked it up in the Greek, and it's, it's actually, I want to remind you. I want to remind you, or I don't want you to be ignorant, right? It's this idea that he's taught them this before, and he doesn't want them to forget it. What does he, doesn't he want them to forget? That our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And verse 2, and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3, and ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. The beginning of verse 4. I do not want you to be ignorant of that, says St. Paul. I want you to remember that. Why? Because verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Why is God, God not pleased with them? Well, we continue on. Because of their idolatry, they're turning away from him in verse 7. Because of their sexual impurity, they're not keeping themselves chaste, verse 8. Because of their testing of God, verse 9. Because of their grumbling, verse 10. You see, St. Paul has here gone back to warning the church once again, just like he started this letter. But why? Why is he so adamant about this? Because they carry a special status. But they've taken their special status and abused it. They've taken their special status as God's chosen people, as those baptized and eating from the Lord's table. And rather than using that as fuel to promote the gospel, instead, they're arrogant. Instead, it's made them overconfident. Instead, it's made them unguarded against the perils for their soul. Look at, we're going to skip around a little today, just the way Paul's writing this. Look at verse 12. He says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. You've all heard the common phrase, pride goeth before fall, Right? Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. And then he continues, flipping the page, at least in my Bible, to verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. What he's saying there, of course, we've covered already, that we have a liberty in Christ. He's not saying all things as in including immorality. He's saying all things inside the special status of those chosen in Christ. We have great freedom. We have great liberty. We have great equipping. But if we are just reveling in that special status, in that greatness, we are not doing the will of God. 
Once again, we see the Corinthians struggling with this problem. But you know, it's not the problem just of the Corinthians. It's the problem of Christians throughout the world. Over the centuries, we struggle with this, right? Because we are set apart as God's chosen. And yet we're set apart for a purpose. To bring others into being part of that community, part of that family of God. The issue of overconfidence is particularly insufferable for Christians because they ought to know better. Because we ought to know better. Because Jesus died for us, not because we were special, but because he loved us. And so Jesus has died for those outside of the church because he loves them. But let's look at the particulars because there's more going on here than just an issue of overconfidence. There's a misunderstanding of their status as the Corinthian church, and there's a misunderstanding of their security as God's chosen people. They misuse this status, but they're not the first to have done so. To their credit, it seems that the Corinthian church understands their relationship to the Old Testament Hebrews. Paul actually affirms this with verses 1 through 4, right? Notice, who are their ancestors, right? That our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now remember, the Corinthian church is not necessarily made up of Jews only, so who are their ancestors? What's St. Paul saying here? He's saying that their fathers in God, their fathers spiritually, are the Old Testament people of the Hebrews. Of course, this goes right along with what Paul says in Romans, that we're grafted in to the Hebrews, right? The word here is actually pateres, meaning father, but meaning patriarch, meaning originator. So he's saying your originators, your patriarchs, your lineage is that of the Hebrews, spiritually speaking. The church is called to be the new Israel, to be God's chosen people of the new covenant, just as the Jews were God's chosen people of the old covenant. And what a privileged status that is. All are baptized, says Paul. Actually, if you look at the Greek, it's all have themselves baptized. It's that middle voice again in the Greek language that we talked about a few weeks ago. All were baptized or had themselves baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What's he talking about? Well, this should be familiar to you, at least from Sunday school days, right? The Red Sea crossing. Pharaoh comes to the edge of the sea. He prays, sticks down his staff, the sea parts, and God's people go through the sea, and the Egyptians rush after them and are all killed. Paul's using that imagery for baptism here. He's drawing a correlation to that. Just as God delivered the Hebrews from the Egyptians through Moses, so God has delivered Christians from sin and the dark domain of eternal death through Jesus. Both are baptisms. Moses is a prefiguring of Jesus Christ here in the Old Testament. The early church knew this. 
It's all over the writings of the early fathers. And in fact, we still have it because if any of you were at our Easter vigil on Holy Saturday, right before Easter Sunday, you know that one of the principal readings is Exodus 14. What's Exodus 14? It's the crossing of the Red Sea by God's people. And so as we take that time to baptize people, historically in the church, we remind God's church that Jesus has delivered them from sin and death, just as Moses has delivered the Hebrews from the Egyptians and slavery. Do you see the parallels? There's all sorts of parallels in the scripture if we have our eyes open to look at them. St. Augustine, bishop and theologian, writes, the history of Exodus was the allegory of the Christian people that was yet to be. Isn't that a beautiful quote? The history of the Exodus was the allegory of the Christian people that was yet to be. So even back at the time of Moses, God knew what he was going to do with Jesus Christ. He knew he was going to save his people. St. Paul goes further, though, and speaks of them, quote, of all eating of the same spiritual food and all drank of the same spiritual drink. What's he talking about here? Well, anyone that knows the Old Testament knows that this is a reference to Exodus 16, following the crossing of the Red Sea, where God feeds his people who are starving in the desert. But his people are grumbling, and they want to go back to Egypt, saying, at least in Egypt we were fed. Psalm 78 actually recalls the story very succinctly. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down upon them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate the bread of angels and he sent them food in abundance. That's Psalm 78, verse 23 through 25. They were eating and drinking from the rock, St. Paul says. Do you see that? In verse 4, and all drank the same spiritual drink, drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. The passage taken from Exodus, this is another passage taken from the book of Exodus, which I'll read to you here. And, Mo and the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the rod which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the fault-finding of the children of Israel, and because they put the Lord to the test by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So, you see, the Hebrews are brought through the Red Sea, freed from slavery. They're fed in the desert, and still they grumble and ask, is the Lord with us? And the Lord then brings water from a rock. And St. Paul says, that rock is Christ." There's interesting parallels going on here, right? So keep tracking with me. I know this is kind of intricate. What is Paul talking about here? Well, he's talking about baptism. 
And he's talking about the Lord's Supper, or what we call the Eucharist. As Anglicans, we call these the two sacraments of the gospel. From the 39 articles, we read, Sacraments ordained of Christ be not only badges or tokens of Christian men's profession, but rather they be certain sure witnesses and effectual signs of grace and God's will towards us, by which he doth work invisibly in us and doth not only quicken, but also strengthen and confirm our faith in him. There are two sacraments ordained of Christ our Lord in the gospel. That is to say baptism and the supper, the supper of the Lord. So what are the two central things for we as Christians? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. What do, the, what do baptism and the Lord's Supper do? Well, they're not just symbols. They're not just signs. But they're things, effectual things of grace given to us by God. They're gifts given to us to help us walk as Christians. To help us through the good times and the hard times. And St. Paul's argument here is that they are the continuance of God's plan going all the way back to the Old Testament, to the Hebrews. Just as he provided for the Hebrews, so he provides for us as Christians. But that's not the end of the story, sadly. Because the status of being chosen doesn't protect the Hebrews. Again, verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Their status as people baptized and fed by the Lord didn't keep them from idolatry. It didn't keep them from sexual sin. It didn't keep them from testing God or grumbling. And St. Paul's very clear that the Corinthian church should take note and beware. Look at verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's actually a euphemism for sexual immorality. It's a euphemism for orgies in the Old Testament. Verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality and as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Not these things happened to them. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. What's St. Paul saying? To the Corinthian church, this should be a warning. To the Corinthian church, this should cause them to take pause in their liberty and not revel in their status as Christians, but humbly embrace it instead. Those who are part of the church, God's covenant people, face specific temptation in thinking too highly of themselves because of their status. And St. Paul is here saying, you are not invincible, mortally or spiritually. Your status as a baptized, confirmed, regular communing churchgoer does not protect you against the dangers of idolatry. It does not protect you against sexual impurity. It does not protect you against testing 
and grumbling any more than it protected the Hebrews in the Old Testament. Don't think it does. Look at verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, says St. Paul, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Why? Because you do not want to find yourself sliding down that path that imperils your soul in any one of those subjects. St. Chrysostom says, once again, Paul casts down the pride of those who think they know it all. For if the Israelites, who had such privileges, suffered these things, and if some were punished merely because they were heard to complain, how much more shall we suffer if we're not careful? Anyone who relies on himself will soon fall, says St. Chrysostom. So what's the answer? Well, Paul seems to be saying that it's twofold. Number one, quite simply, flee temptation. Don't mess around with it. Don't be like the Old Testament characters of Samson and Delilah, or David and Bathsheba, or King Zedekiah in Egypt. Don't try to hedge your bets. Don't think, well, I'm strong enough. I can take this. I can walk into this situation and come out unscathed. Don't dabble in sin. You're not invincible. Rather, flee. Because when you do flee, God promises to provide a path for you. Look at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, God's not abandoning us in our hard times. God's not abandoning us in our temptation. And even in the hardest of hard times, even in the most trying sufferings, we have that choice. Will I look to God, or will I look to something else to try to ease my pain? Don't even mess around with looking to something else. Look to God. Turn to God in that pain, in that temptation. Secondly, St. Paul says, embrace the body of Christ. Embrace the people of God. God doesn't call us to do ministry or even to live our Christian lives alone. He calls us to be a people. He calls us to be with each other in our burdens. He calls us to be able to lean into each other in our sufferings. But to do that, we have to be vulnerable and share with one another. We have to have, we have, to have the ability to know that we desire each other's good. And, and secondly, lean in and embrace the sacraments of the Lord particularly here for the Christian, Holy Communion. St. Paul goes on to talk about Holy Communion in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Speak as to, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Here it is, verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices 
participants in the altar? What's St. Paul saying? That in Holy Communion, we have this mystical union between ourselves and God. And we also have this mystical union between ourselves and each other. So if you want to continue in your Christian walk, you have to flee temptation and you have to be part of the body of Christ. He goes on to say more about uniting ourselves to, and, and meals to others. He's talking about the, the Corinthians going to those temple feasts that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And he says, you know, that can hurt you. Be very careful who you're eating the Lord's Supper with. That gets into a lot more theology, and I think we've had enough this morning. But suffice it to say, going forth today, remember who are your ancestors. Remember that you carry a great legacy spiritually. Remember that you share in thousands of years of people who are chosen by God, not because they were special, but because God chose them and God chose you. And secondly, remember that when you face sufferings, push in to God. Push into his people. Push into his presence. Push into his feeding. He will always provide a way out. and He is always there for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.